This is the SCORE Small Business Success Podcast. Get your mentor today at SCORE.org or call 1-800-634-0245. Welcome back to the SCORE Small Business Success Podcast. I'm Shalini Karnani, the Communications Manager here, and every month we're looking for ways to help you with your small business. We do it 24-7, 365 mentors, 11,000-plus volunteer mentors, free, confidential, available at SCORE.org. There's templates and tools webinars, all kinds of good stuff. This month's podcast guest is Jessica Lawrence. She's the executive director of the NY Tech Meetup. It's the largest meetup in the world, a 33,000-member nonprofit organization helping to build a sustainable and diverse technology industry in the great state of New York. Jessica, we appreciate you being here. You've got so many credentials. Your work with the Girl Scouts, that's pretty great. Staff of 75, 5,000 volunteers, and 15,000 girls, that's it? Yeah, (laughs) just a small organization. <laughs> yeah, you know, the Girl Scouts are very close to my heart. I, I grew up a Girl Scout. I, I love what they do. But Jessica's uh, accolades go on and on. She was one of only 15 women selected to participate in Seth Godin's Female Entrepreneur MBA. And we all know Seth Godin is a small business advocate. The way that I found you, Jessica, was actually some of your writing that had been featured on the Harvard Business Review blog. And uh, there's a great article there, uh, The Next Big Opportunity, and that leads us into this month's topic, Best New Business Ideas. So welcome to the show. Is there anything that you can say right off the bat are some um, long-held assumptions about small business that are no longer true as or as reliable as they were before? Sure. Well, thank you so much for having me. I think, um, you know, one of the, the big assumptions that I see about small business is that small businesses are just businesses waiting to get big and that in some way, you know, if you're still small, you've done something wrong and that that big is somehow better and that big means you're successful and that the, you know, plan for any business should be substantial growth. And I think um, there are ways that businesses can grow without necessarily growing in size and, uh, you know, growing in staff and growing in budget size. And I think there are more and more businesses who are deciding to kind of right-size their business and decide what makes sense for them in terms of what they want as, as a founder, as an entrepreneur, what they want in terms of the culture that they want to create for their employees, the type of service that they want to provide for their customers. And, you know, I learned an interesting lesson about too much growth from my experience at Girl Scouts. I think, you know, one of the the challenges in any type of organization is you try to balance the sort of depth of impact with breadth of impact. Mm. So, you know, can you can you have as deep of an impact on an individual person if you're if you're serving or supporting thousands and thousands and thousands of customers and and how do you handle that and and manage that and so i think one of the challenges at girl scouts was always that you know we wanted to reach just as many girls as we possibly could but at the same time oftentimes that pure focus on numbers and growth and driving to get a higher membership number oftentimes meant that there were a lot of girls who didn't have quite as an impactful experience as we would have liked because the focus was so much on can we get a girl to come to a 2 hour event and have at least a little bit of experience and so it was always a bit of a, a struggle in terms of figuring out what is that right balance between um, what you can provide and kind of who you can be as an organization at a certain size um, and what happens when you start growing and it's i think important to to think about the fact that 
neither small nor big are necessarily bad, but it should be intentional in terms of what size business you end up creating. Small businesses want to attract the best possible employees, but nowadays the type of employee is changing and the types of things that an employee is looking for in a work environment is changing as well. Can you speak to that as to what small businesses need to do to attract the right people and what are the types of work environments and work situations that uh, small businesses should consider when trying to attract the most qualified candidates? I think that, you know, one of the the key things to, to understand from the very beginning is that there is no one-size-fits-all organizational culture or structure or set of values. And I think it's challenging because a lot of companies, especially I see um, some small tech companies, trying to emulate other organizations that they see. So trying to copy Google and seeing that, well, Google you know, offers meals and offers ping pong tables. And so maybe we should have ping pong tables too. And I think it's important to understand the underlying reasons behind some of those attributes of of a company like Google. So the ping pong table isn't just because playing ping pong in and of itself actually does something beneficial for employees. The deeper reason is that giving employees an opportunity to take a break from the work that they're doing is actually a productivity tool. And so if you think about it from the standpoint of it's a productivity tool, um, you can really think about then how do you choose the right productivity tools for your work environment? And same thing goes for any of the other benefits that you might see other organizations offering. So I think when you're thinking about what attracts employees to a workplace, it's, it's not so much the ping pong table itself. It's some of those, those underlying structural and cultural things. And so I think, you know, employees more and more are really looking for work as a place to make them happy and to make them feel fulfilled. And I think some of that has been shifting because in the past, oftentimes, you know, a few generations ago, our parents and grandparents went through the Great Depression, World Wars, a job was something that, you know, you just felt lucky to have and you didn't complain about it. And for the most part, you also saw a pot of gold at the end. So you might have had a pension or a more significant contribution to a retirement plan. And so you, you oftentimes would kind of put up with a less than ideal work situation because you knew in the end you get to retire and have that life that you always wanted. And I think what people are realizing is that those pots of gold don't really exist anymore. And they need to find a fulfilling way to live their life during the, the main course of their life and not just wait until that magic kind of 65 age point. So I think you know, when, when companies are looking to hire people, the, the first underlying thing is just really making sure that the, the small business has a strong sense of what culture they have and who they are as an organization. And it doesn't have to match any of the other organizations that you see. It can be very unique. And in fact, it should because it's often representative of whoever the entrepreneur is, whoever the person is who founded that company. And they really need to create an environment that they feel uh, continues those those values that they started the company with in the back of their mind. They knew they wanted to build a company that 
created fun in the workplace or um, that added value to the community by creating a product that was of social benefit. So there are multiple different things. There's not necessarily one right or wrong answer, um, but I think having that clear sense of why you exist as a business and having a clear sense of that vision and passion really helps you end up with the right employees attracted to your business. If you're not clear about those things, you'll oftentimes end up with employees that just don't seem to get it or just don't seem to fit. And you can't figure out why, because on paper, their skill sets looked great. They look like a potentially great hire. But usually what's really off is that that cultural fit. That's great advice. You're listening to the SCORE Small Business Success Podcast. Log on, SCORE.org. Get your volunteer mentor today, free, confidential. You've got a business idea. You've got a vision for the type of business that you want to put in place and you just don't know how to get started. Step one, get your mentor. They can help you nail down the details that you're wondering about right now. Our guest today, Jessica Lawrence, the executive director of NY Tech Meetup. It's the world's largest meetup group and a nonprofit working to build sustainable and diverse technology industry in New York. Jessica, you can follow her on Twitter at Jessica Lawrence. You know, as the executive director of New York Tech Meetup, you must see some technology come your way that is very targeted to improve quality of life. What are some of those types of technologies that you're finding that small businesses may want to keep their eyes peeled for to utilize in their own business? Yeah, well, I think, um, you know, in particular when thinking about technology for small business, the first thing that comes to mind for me is just simply making sure that every small business has a website because it's fascinating how many small businesses out there still do not have a home on the internet. And I think what's becoming more and more challenging for businesses that don't have that digital presence is that people don't use yellow pages anymore. People are turning to Google and other search engines to get their primary source of information about what businesses are available to them to provide the services and products that they're looking for. And at this point, there are so many inexpensive options, even if you're not tech savvy at all. There are companies like OnePager who can set up and host a simple website for you for $8 a month. Um, if you're a little bit more tech savvy, you can buy a domain name, usually for under $10 a year, and use a free template, and you're good to go. Um, even just setting up a simpler, simple Tumblr and using that as your main website. But I think, you know, especially as people become more mobile and people are looking for things on the fly, they're oftentimes using their search engines to connect with those different organizations and companies and to find things that they're looking for. Um, I think, you know, the other thing that I see a lot of small businesses really taking advantage of right now is um, all of the innovation that's happening in the uh, payment processing space. And so if you go to a lot of outdoor fairs or festivals now that have vendors, you often see vendors using the Square device in their iPads or in their phones or other mobile credit card processing devices. And I feel like that innovation has been huge because in the past it was really hard for small businesses to take credit card payments and adding that to the repertoire of what you can offer for um, customers is, I think, amazing. On, on a little bit the more sort of like productivity and, and quality of life side, I think, you know, one of the things for anyone who's running a small business um, that's really important is that because you're small, 
oftentimes it doesn't necessarily mean that the workload has scaled down any more than it would from a, a large business. And so oftentimes you're struggling with the same amount of stuff on your plate, the same amount of breadth on your plate, and not quite as many people to help you manage that. And that's definitely something that I've experienced as um, I, at first I was the solo employee of New York Tech Meetup for two years. Um, during that time, our membership doubled in size. So I was I was really struggling with trying to do everything from responding to every email to paying every bill to raising every dollar that we needed and um, and I turned actually to a lot of different technology tools to help me navigate and and really increase productivity and just uh, provide some stress relief in a way from from some of the things that were on my plate that were just overflowing. And a couple of the tools that I used, um, so there's some great uh, opportunities out there to hire freelancers when you're often looking for someone to either A, help you with a specific project or help you with a weekly or monthly task that ends up taking up a lot of your time and could actually be more successfully and even sometimes more skillfully done by someone else who's an expert at it. Mm-hmm. And that 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 item for me was uh, my calendar and scheduling. And so um, I reached out through Elance, which is a great website for uh, both posting freelance type projects and finding freelancers, or if you're a freelancer for, for getting jobs um, and, and posted the job description for someone to help me with my calendar. I estimated that it would be about five hours a week and got an, an amazing number of responses and found a woman who actually lives in Ohio. So she's not even near me. Um, she just works for me five hours a week taking care of my scheduling so that that's something that I don't have to in those back and forth emails that end up taking a lot of time to often find the time that that works. Um, she's really helped clear that off of my off of my plate. And there are some other services out there. Odesk. Uh, there's a great website called TaskRabbit that all kind of um, tap into this sort of micro task and, and micro job market where you don't want to hire someone full time, but you still need that extra help to just take something little off your plate. Uh, and that's been incredibly, incredibly helpful for me. That's great. I actually have uh, experience working with your your scheduler in Ohio, and she is wonderful and very yeah. responsive. <laughs> so kudos to her and kudos to you for utilizing um, her services. Freelancing is something that when they're talking about business ideas and things that people should consider going into business for themselves doing, freelancing, consulting, these are all things that you're going to hear a lot of in the next couple of years because with the way that the workplace is set up, uh, and so many people having the ability to work from afar, it just seems to be more practical. And I wonder for these people who are the freelancers and people who are um, consulting, what are some tips you have for them? Because that could be their own small business. What are some tips you have for them as to the types of skills and services that sh- they should consider providing people or those, those skills and services that are most in demand? Yeah, I think there's a, you know, a growing trend of a lot of people taking this route of hiring someone who, who they only want to have work on a specific project or work on something, you know, a few hours a week. And what I really did was I actually assessed all of the different tasks and kind of did a list of everything that I do on a daily or weekly basis and looked at that list and kind of said, okay, 
what are the things that end up taking up the, the biggest chunk of my time that I could potentially outsource and have someone else take care of for me? And, you know, there are going to be certain things in your day-to-day work as a freelancer or as someone who runs a small business that you are really the person who needs to do them. Uh, but there are potentially other things. And oftentimes there are things that you end up finding that you don't enjoy that much. Um, and so that's that's part of the ranking too, is that sometimes you can look at this list of things that you do every day and rank them not only by you know, whether you could outsource them or not, but also by, do you actually enjoy doing this task? And sometimes there's a sweet spot where you can outsource something uh, to another freelancer. And, um, and I think, you know, for, um, for people who are, are freelancing, obviously, um, you know, freelancers can even sometimes outsource some of their own, mm-hmm. uh, their own things as well. But I think, you know, within that space, so if you think about that list of tasks, if you think about any type of business, and if you're a freelancer who wants to support business, thinking about that list that I was just mentioning of what are the types of things that a small business person or even someone working for a large company has to do on a daily basis, and what do you have skill sets around that could potentially support that person? So for instance, um, are you really good with copy editing? Maybe that person has a newsletter that they send out for their business, and they just really need someone to help compile it and edit it. Um, you know, maybe... Um, there's the, the, the whole you know, category of scheduling. There's obviously a lot of uh, support that people need um, oftentimes around social media um, and helping to keep their website up to date or helping to get uh, their Twitter feed and, and Facebook feed kind of filled with information and, and news articles. And then obviously I think too there's the whole technical side and where we see a lot of growth in freelancing is on the design side with graphic designers and, and web designers increasing in terms of the amount of work that that they're doing obviously a lot of people who are actually building websites and doing the writing the code and and doing the developing of websites and mobile apps they're very highly in demand um, and oftentimes there's a lot of room in the freelance space for those types of of people um, because oftentimes companies don't want to necessarily hire a developer or a technical person on staff full time but they'd rather start out by hiring someone to freelance for them. You're listening to the SCORE Small Business Success Podcast. Our guest today, Jessica Lawrence, she is the Executive Director of NY Tech Meetup, and we are talking about best new ideas for business. Recent headlines, we've all heard about it, uh, those headlines surrounding telecommuting. These uh, conversations definitely rekindle the debate over where and how employees work best. What is your vantage point when it comes to people working from home or working on the go and the association with good productivity and um, the balance with quality of life? Yeah, I mean, I think that the the conversation around should people work from home, should people work in an office, um, I, I think, you know, the the answer is that it depends. And it really depends first on the individual person. I think there are some individuals whose personalities just really thrive when they're um, around a lot of other people. And even if they're working on individual projects themselves, simply being in a space that's buzzing a little bit, whether it's a coffee shop or an office, actually helps them get more work done. Uh, But there are other people who, especially when they're working on certain types of projects, an intensive writing project or something that requires significant concentration, they work much better when they are working from home and, and working on their own. And so 
I think, you know, whether, whether you're a freelancer or whether you're um, someone who's working for a company, understanding your own productivity habits and, and learning as much as you can about, you know, what, what the underlying science is behind productivity. Because there are some uh, underlying ideas that apply to pretty much everyone. Like we all know and, and are getting to see a lot more research that multitasking is a myth and that, in fact, when people try to multitask, it seems sometimes like they're being successful, but tasks end up taking them much longer. They tend to be lower quality. So there are certain things that if you, if you spend a little bit of time studying productivity and, and understanding and reading up on, on kind of the neuroscience behind work, you can get a few little tidbits that really um, help you even tweak your own day. And I think, you know, it's important for companies, if they are going to have a physical space, if, if you're a small business who is going to have an office, then think about why. Why are you having the physical space? Because what I've found is that a lot of times people have physical space because it's a habit, because most companies end up getting physical space. So, you know, really think about the culture of your company, the type of work that you're doing. And I, I do think that physical space can help foster that sense of connectedness. It can help people um, and ideas kind of clash with each other in a really productive way um, where you've got energy around ideas that is sometimes hard to reproduce when you're not in the same room together. Um, but that being said, I think, you know, it is, it's a really individual thing and it varies company by company and, and person by person. And I think, you know, one of the things that a, a company can do as well, getting back to that question of how do people attract the, the right kind of employees for their business is, you know, uh, giving employees as much autonomy as you can. And when you can't give them autonomy in terms of what their schedule is going to be or whether they need to be in a physical space, really explaining why and really explaining, explaining the intention and the purpose of the space. Um, I had someone talking to me recently about a boss that they had in the past who insisted that they arrive at the office at 9 a.m. And this is a person who is a night person. They are not a morning person. Right. And they are basically not functional before 10 a.m. And so the hour between 9 and 10 a.m. was completely wasted time. They, they couldn't change their fundamental biology of being a night person. And when they asked their boss, why do I have to be here at 9? The boss's response was, just because. Right. Right. And like that, that, you know, that ends up building a, a little bit of a foundation of resentment between the employee and the, the company because they start to feel like, well, if you can't give me a good reason for why I need to be here at nine, and, you know, and this was a person who, if they got in at 10, they stayed an extra hour in right. the evening to make sure they got their work done. Um, but it just, it ends up uh, creating a little bit of a kind of fracture in that uh, back and forth trust between the employee and the organization itself. I think that's interesting because for a lot of employers to go on that tradition of this is how it's always been done, they don't take into consideration employees aren't working the way that they used to work. They used to work nine to five. Now with the internet at home, you can do work at home in the later hours of the day and you don't necessarily you know, take that into consideration when you're saying you gotta be here from this hour to that hour because we're not working the 
same as we used to work back in the olden days. You Absolutely. Know? I mean, you think about the, the days of, you know, um, banks of operators having to switch the cables from this plug to right. that plug and, <laughs> you know, and people sitting with, you know, hundred pound typewriters was their equipment. Of course it, you, it wasn't possible to work from home in, in that period in time because all of the equipment that you needed to do your work was located in the physical office. And what's interesting is that we've maintained this idea of having physical offices where everyone gathers, even though one of the main reasons for everyone gathering in that space, as you said, is no longer there because um, most people are taking their equipment with them or they're traveling with their equipment. They have an internet connection at home. And, you know, and more and more companies are, are storing their information in the cloud and, and using ways to connect that really truly don't don't require people to be in a physical space to have access to either the equipment or the files and information that they would have needed to do their job in the past. You know, that brings up a good point. That takes us to the discussion of utilizing the cloud. Small businesses, a lot of them could be a little hesitant to use the cloud, you know, because they're worried about their information being out there, et cetera, et cetera. What are some facts about using cloud-based systems that you think small businesses should know? Well, I think, you know, one of the things that that we noticed being here in New York, actually, during Hurricane Sandy last year, was that the companies that had their data and information in the cloud bounced back much faster. And that the people who had the, the most significant trouble bouncing back and who had to spend the most amount of money on recovery and who had the longest downtime were people who still had all of their information in servers, oftentimes in the basement of a building. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and, and I think that that fear around security, I think, you know, anything connected to the Internet. So even if you have servers that are based in your physical space, if they have an Internet connection uh, connected through them, there is always a, a bit more of a security risk than uh, what might have happened when you had a personal computer before the Internet existed. But I think what's important to realize is that, there are hundreds of thousands of companies who are going the route of using the cloud. I think, you know, in my personal experience, it's been a, a very secure process. I think that um, people who who uh, support data in the cloud take the security of that data very seriously because they know that their entire company is is really built on whether they can provide a secure and reliable place for customers to host their data. And, um, and so I think that, you know, from that standpoint, having, having data in the cloud um, is the best way to go in terms of keeping your business nimble, um, keeping your employees connected, facilitating, you know, if your entire office burns down, um, you can still work if you if you have all of your information in the cloud. And I think, you know, one one sort of peace of mind, piece of security is I would say, you know, you can still back up data if you have really important data um, that would be devastating to your business if you lost it. It is still helpful and can be really important to back that up. You know, they they um, you can buy 
uh, hard drives with a terabit of room on them now for not very much money. And if you've got a certain group of files or certain information that you just want to, you know, on a weekly basis, on a monthly basis, whatever is most important to you, make sure you've got that data pulled from the cloud and on that hard drive and put that hard drive in a secure place. That redundancy also really helps so that if something does happen and for some reason your data does get lost in the cloud, you do still have a physical backup of that somewhere. You're listening to the SCORE Small Business Success Podcast, speaking with Jessica Lawrence today, the Executive Director of NY Tech Meetup. So you mentioned earlier uh, Square, that is the device that allows people to take credit card payments via cell phone. Are there other mobile commerce types of technologies that you think small businesses need to be aware of? Because let's face it, brick and mortar is only one facet of small business nowadays. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, the, the interesting thing with mobile commerce is that um, oftentimes, you know, it's it's um, really people visiting someone's website is where they're buying and they're not necessarily, you know, downloading an app for an individual company. But again, they're using that web browser, they're using that Google search or other search to find what it is that they're looking for and kind of buy that on the fly. So I think, you know, one of the most important things for a small business is that if you have items that you're selling, definitely make them available online, but then also make sure that your website is optimized for mobile. Because if you think about, you know, someone viewing your website on a standard size computer screen or laptop screen, that's a very different experience than viewing your website on a mobile device. And so taking some time to make sure that you have a mobile optimized website, and especially if you are trying to sell items on the fly and give people a kind of seamless process of clicking on something and buying something. Um, I think, you know, setting up your website so that that payment process, whether it's on a website, on a regular computer, on a mobile phone, is pretty seamless. I think that's that's incredibly important. I would say that for the most part, I think having a mobile-friendly website is much more important than having a custom app for your business, for, for most businesses, because most people are not going to want to go through the process of having to download a custom app for your business. What they're most likely going to do is open their web browser and do a search for whatever they're looking for. And so um, having a very mobile-friendly website is, is the best way to capture a customer in that moment. You know, I used to, uh, when I was a kid, I used to think by the time I'm 40, there's going to be flying cars. This is going to be an amazing world to live in. And it is, definitely. Technology has come a long way. Um Small business and operating as a, a successful small business, that face has also changed. What do you think small business is going to look like in 20 years? Well, I think, you know, the, the biggest change that I see so far is just um, – just people focusing so much more on local, which is interesting because, you know, the web is so global and you can find somebody with a product, you know, thousands of miles around the world. But I think a lot of people are also using the web to find um, purveyors of different goods and services in their own backyard. And so I think that, you know, the, the um, growth of people operating both uh, small businesses and people who are freelancing, people who are running um, individual companies where they're the only person working on it, um, I think that is going to continue to grow as well. Um, I know that, you know, the statistics are that the, the, the uh, population of freelancers is going to, I think, be 40% of the population by the year 2020. Wow. 
um, and, and as a percentage of the, the adults who work. And so um, I think we're just going to see more and more growth in that space. And, um, and I think, you know, technology is really enabling that because if you look at something like um, Etsy, for instance, which really enables a lot of uh, small sellers to uh, sell whatever it is that they're making, whether it's pottery or uh, jewelry, um, those types of opportunities really didn't exist before. I mean, you could set up your own website maybe early on or, you know, you'd have to just sell at craft fairs before the web existed or finding a store to um, to carry your goods. And now that middleman being kind of pulled out and people really being able to have a much closer interaction with potential customers and customers, I think that's just going to keep getting enhanced as well. And so um, I, I really think that, you know, this coming decade is the decade of, of the entrepreneur, of the freelancer, of that kind of micro and small business. And uh, it's just really exciting. Thank you again to Jessica Lawrence. She is the executive director of NY Tech Meetup. Jessica, I found you through a post that you made on the Harvard Business Review called The Next Big Opportunity for Startups. And I just wanted to read to the audience the last paragraph you wrote, and and I thought this was brilliant and very indicative of small business and how they should look at the world. You say entrepreneurs are faced with the unique opportunity to not only build innovative products, but also to build companies that break the cycle and and do not play off of fear, false superiority, or treating work as simply an exchange of labor for money. Instead, startups can build companies in which every person they employ can flourish. The world will get better when we build better organizations, not just when we build better products. Jessica Lawrence, we really appreciate your time today. This is the Score Small Business Success Podcast. Thank you again. Thank you so much. This is the SCORE Small Business Success Podcast. Get your mentor today at SCORE.org or call 1-800-634-0245.